Hey folks, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to another episode of the podcast Working Drummer. Today, I get a chance to talk to Tom Hurst. This man thrives on chaos. Not only is he the drummer with Tracy Lawrence, he also spearheads the Tom Hurst Presents Loud Jams, which is a jam session the first Monday of each month here in Nashville at Douglas Corner. He's also involved in the Nashville Drummer Jam that has a huge show December 14th here at the Exit Inn, along with David Parks and Chris Nix. Tom is also working on his graduate degree. He runs an indoor drum line. He teaches. He plays. He is just all over the map, and I'm excited for you all to hear this interview with him so I can try and figure out how he does it all. Find out more about other interviews that we've done in the past on WorkingDrummer.net. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can see our YouTube page where we're including more and more content every week. So here is Tom Hurst. We shan't work together. We shan't. <laughs> a little spot on time. We shan't ever work together, together again. Exactly. Oh, I'll go some tap on you. No, I'm, I'm definitely old enough for that. I'm terrible at quoting movies, but that one definitely sticks with me. Hey, man, I don't think it's an H limit to tap. Oh, you know? dude, yeah. I, I, it's my, I check, you know, you've got to check young players like, have you seen Spinal Tap? If not, you might be in danger of replicating, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, I, it, it always seemed just like a, a thing. You have to if you're going to be a professional musician you have to know these lines oh, i mean yeah. it, it's, it's a rite of passage exactly you know, how, how can you be on a stage and understand it goes to 11 <laughs> but that's true i mean there's some players i've worked with you know they're they're in their 20s and they're, they're looking at me like what I'm what like, are you talking minute, about wait a minute yeah yeah, you realize, yeah, oh, okay. I no, need I've to, got a copy for, wait, yes. it's on VHS. <laughs> exactly, uh, that's uh, not going to uh, do any good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tape. It's a tape. You it's, know what a tape is? No, it's you've okay. never. It's like this. This okay. thing? <laughs> Remember the video that your grandfather, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Oh, what's video? <laughs> you, know, right. you know, you'd go to Blockbust. Oh, that's right. You don't know what that is. <laughs> Great Escape. No. Um, that's so right. funny. I st- yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, don't I was going to say, I just need to set my timer yeah. um, to change okay. this guy every once in a while. I've got to hit stop and start to keep the memory chip from gotcha. blocking out the time. Um, man, thank you. Oh, gosh. Thanks for that. Thank you, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm honored. Uh, I think the gods were against us trying to schedule this. <laughs> <Right>? Every time we... <laughs> Had something set up. You, uh, dude, you, I, your, your schedule changed, or my schedule changed, and then the rain started happening today. And, it's good to be busy, right? Yeah, it's always a oh good, good problem to have. Man, I, I just want to ask you. Uh, I, I was looking online at, and trying to do some research about what you're involved in, and I have an idea of some of the things you're involved in, but I just wanted to make sure I had a better clue of all the things because I don't know you real well, so I just sure. kind of getting to know. And it just got to the point where I was like, you know, I. I I'm just going to ask what yeah. you're doing. But my first question is, with all these things that you're, all these plates you've got spinning, how do you keep it all going? Mm-hmm. And um, how do you find the balance between family and doing the work? And how do you focus on 
achieving, say, you have a specific goal, like graduate school, sure. get, uh, organizing the, the loud jams, you had a meeting today. Yeah. Um, how do you keep everything straight? Because, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you can answer that question first, and then we can back up, oh, and, no, and, okay. then, yeah. and then you could say, well, then I got this, and I got this, and I got this, and this, and this. Sure. So. Um, I, I would say that I mean, first and foremost, you hit the key thing, and and it's a it, you know um, my just a you know it's not not a big thing. I don't mind saying. I mean, I'm, I'm recently separated. My wife and I are good good we're good friends, work well together, and you know mm-hmm. we've but that's that probably there's no question. She a big part of that was the difficulty of always having to play second fiddle to all the things I'm involved in. Mm-hmm. And from that standpoint, and that's one of those things, if you were to say, I don't ever say anything to do with regret, but I don't feel like I do as good a job as that with family as I should. Mm-hmm. I do, I'm very grateful in that she's an awesome mom and she does a wonderful job for the children and I adore the kids are area. To answer your question most, most succinctly, they always come first. I mean, I, you know, I've, I wish I'd done a better job at times for her sake, you know, but that said, you know, I'm just really, really fortunate that I have such you know good people in my life. You know, that's awesome. And you have a boy and a girl. Yeah, I have my. No, it's a, actually my son is my is uh, he's five, Bryant, and then my it's my stepdaughter Genevieve from from uh, my you know from Heather's first marriage. Okay. And I I've been in, in her life since she was three. She's nine, and yeah. her her dad's a great guy. I get along. We get we're good, you know buddies. So I mean, I'm we're really fortunate to have a you know friendly functional you know type right. situation because it's just really at the end of the day all of us want to do a good job for the kids yeah of course you know and you know all too well yeah. our business is not conducive to that at times but then we also are fortunate that we have you know where we do have to be away on a weekend or something which yeah. is such a drag and it, it tears at your heart yeah. but you also get to have such quality time like i could go this morning and have you know fun friday lunch with my son i do that i've done that like the last couple of weeks you know because the way things work out you you've got to you've got to grab it while you exactly. can because you're going to be out you know, know, and you know, the funny thing about it, one of the things I've noticed with it is that almost every time, if I think about every musician that you and I have like come in contact with here in town, the people I admire and respect, and just generally all of them, they're fantastic parents. I think there's something about doing what we do that we really crave and realize how precious that time is and how everything else is kind of insignificant. The older you get, you realize that no matter how much you chase that brass ring, you know, that's, that's not, it, nothing's going to really change. It's more important to make sure you've created a quality life and you're, and you're paying it forward to your children, you know, and be, you know, that they can look back and go, my mom or my dad, and, you know, in our case, your dad really cared about me. And I mean, you know, case in point, you tell me about the, what you do with your kids with the Legos. I mean, I find that most dads that are musicians are fun there and yeah. the kids get that yeah. Why, where they may miss you I, to a man I think of a good friend of mine Scott Saunders that plays keyboards on the mm-hmm. jams played for Thompson Square played for everybody Scott is an unbelievable dad we were roommates at one time I've seen him go through a, a tough separation but I got to hang out with his son a few weeks ago his son works for Lone Star he's oh, out there and cool. man to hear his son talk about his dad and to know and have watched that kid grow up it does it makes it makes me get choked up because it's like man you just realize what a good father. And I'm like, gosh, I hope I can do half what Scott did right. for Brandon. It's that kind of thing. I think sometimes uh, for those maybe who are working the normal nine to five, you just take for granted that, well, I'll, I'll be home at five and we're going to do our thing. We have dinner. And, and it's just, there's a routine where yeah. doing what we do, there's no routine. There's no regular week. No. Uh, and so when you have that time, it's quality, not quantity. Yep. 
Um, and it's a, it, it's a hard thing that you really, truly, hopefully appreciate how hard that is on your spouse, your partner, anybody yeah. in your life too, because you're, they're constantly having to adjust. And that's the, probably one of those things that I'm so grateful to the kid's mom because she's been so, she does such a good job. Yeah. And, you know, so I've just, my goal, and like you say, how do I keep this plate spinning? I really try and sincerely, and I still fail at it, but I'm trying to just first check and go, hey, what will best serve my family and the people that, mm-hmm. that I care about and love. And then all this other stuff will get in line, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, to, to going, stepping away from the family component of it to the activities. I mean, there's a couple different things. Ironically, the motivation, when you mentioned about like graduate school, the right. reason I, I've always wanted to do that. Most of my family are very, they're not musicians. They're all involved in, you know, nursing and what I call kind of legit professions, yeah, you sure. know, right. not to take anything away from music, but we know it can be so fleeting. You just never know what you're doing next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I've always sort of admired that. There's a part of me that, you know, always wanted to have, you know, have a little bit more normalcy and for my, for my kids yeah. uh, and for myself you know as well but so that was one of the things like to take something like graduate school that was a, a an idea you know that I thought I'd always kind of harbored in the back of my head I'd love to teach at a collegiate level but you know I never saw myself as that I thought, oh gosh the people I know that are professors yeah. are so much more put together they just have their act together so much more than I feel like I do do you think that's a perception I think would- I, I think it is I think at times because a lot of my my friends that are in academia tell me Tom, that's nonsense. But I see myself as the goofball in flip flops. You know, I don't see myself as the you know the you know the ivory tower academic. <laughs> um, right. You know. Well, a lot of times when we interact with those those people, we're we're younger, we're in our twenties, and we just we have this admiration for our teachers, and, exactly. and so we don't realize until we're older and uh, realize, wow, that. That guy was actually kind of a goofball. <laughs> yeah, so, there's, yeah. How he made it in academia is 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 amazing to me. And 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 a lot of times, some of those people that work in academia, they have a certain, uh, like they're really good at what they do. But as far as functioning normal, normally, yeah. yeah. That's that's not. It's 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 that's more of a challenge for them. Yeah. And you know, you said you grew up in Columbus, right? Yeah. I grew up yeah. in Gainesville, Florida. We both grew up in college towns, and yeah. I mean, my yeah. we're pretty much your whole life there. Oh yeah. 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 So you know exactly. It's it's a funny thing because it's like inbred in you. You know, you're just everything you do when you go to the library, you go to like to the university library, mm-hmm. or you go right. to events. Everything you can feel the ebb and flow of college yeah. life. It affects your day to day life. And Nashville has some of that. Oh, absolutely. Between Vanderbilt and Belmont, and yeah, stuff Mid- like Middle Tennessee. Yeah. State, Tennessee. Yeah. You know, if you have you met Greg Loman at all, or have you interacted? He's, he was uh, our fifth interview. Right. So you know, all I've known well. Greg for a long time. Yeah. yeah, he's a good friend. He's one of the first guys I met coming when I first came up here. You know? great. And that's if you want somebody who's sort of, sort of my archetype, if you will, for wanting to do more in academics. The way Greg juggles that—that that he's able to teach at Tennessee State and yet be mm-hmm. as legit as they come as a pro player. I mean, he's very mm-hmm. much so. I feel like I'm good at casting vision. Like I have all kind of harebrained ideas, but I, I'm, I, I never. None of these get accomplished if you don't immediately in, enlist great friends and talented people, and then yeah. get out of their way and right. help, help ask them to do what they do well, and then just trust them to do it. Right. And that's I feel like that's kind of the two of almost to a fault. Sometimes I feel bad. I feel like I then put everything on everyone else's plate. Hey, I've got this idea. Now you run with it. Well, you right. Know? I mean, I wouldn't be as far with the podcast right now in nine months into it without yeah. Mike Jackson. So. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. There's no way. I mean, to be fair, like when people talk to me about any of this stuff, you, you and I were. We'll 
I'm sure we'll get to the drummer jam, but it really kind of stems back to one thing for me five, you know, almost five years ago now. I kept pestering one of my lifelong best buddies for 20 years now, pretty much, uh, Chris Nix, mm-hmm. and I took to move up here from Florida. You know, we had worked together, and there's quite a little. I'd say there's almost there's probably about six of us. Michael J that we've talked about, mm-hmm. guy named Jack Sizemore that works with Jason Aldean. Yeah. They're all from Gainesville. We all cool. you know, and Jack and I came here in the late '90s. But specifically with Chris coming up here was the impetus for a lot of these shows and just like secondary opportunities because and it really was just out of necessity. We had no means to play together. You know, he I was already working. I had been here for some time. I you know, like I said, I came here much you know longer before. Chris was working for Line Six as a product specialist and traveling. Okay, but out of Florida. And so I really wanted to have us do, uh, to find ways to play together. And we had our little trio together, the power triplets, which I'm, we'll probably can talk a little bit about, but excuse me, he was up here one of the times visiting and he teases me, he called me the chamber of commerce. Cause I kept selling him on moving to Nashville, you know, and it's like one day it's in the winter and it's snowing and he and I are walking over here on Moss Rose. He's like, Oh, come on, man. You're landing on thick. Now you're really trying to sell me. <laughs> and his wife was, Liz still teases me to this day. She's like, yeah, you were like, cause I would call him up. Hey, there's a house for sale on my street. <laughs> You know, oh, it happened, man. Yeah, exact same thing with Mike, and now yeah. he lives two doors down from. How me. funny is that? See, yeah, that's it, and it's such. It's how it always happens. I moved in here, and Reeves Gabrell is one of my favorite favorite guitar players. Lived yeah. three doors down at that time. He lived that's right down great. here, and you that's know, great. I thought, wow, I'm in the right neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. But Very you much. know, not to totally digress. Coming kind of back to what you're asking about, like this week is a, is is kind of typical of me. I I don't feel like I do anything that well. I get myself involved in a whole bunch of things and hang on by the in my teeth and this week would be a perfect example i you know my typical week right now is i'm in grad school at at university of florida every tuesday and wednesday and that's i'm a uh, teaching assistant for the jazz studies department basically so they gave me a full scholarship thank goodness i could not pay the out of state tuition and basically the guy that runs that department's a a fellow named scott wilson another longtime friend unbelievable trumpet player north texas he's got two masters from north texas i mean he played with like you know the gordon goodwin big fat band i mean he's a stud (laughs) well scott wilson is pretty much if you want to take the guy i've got to give a ton of credit to for how any of this is possible it's him Okay. The guy emails me at two o'clock in the morning sometimes or texts me and, you know, leaves and I wake up to a text that says, Hey, I don't want you to worry about this. I got it covered. You just do what you need to do to get through school or Hey, be, be with your son. You know, don't worry. I mean, there's, I cannot say enough about what he has done because everyone goes grad school in Florida. I'm like, yes, I'm on a flight pretty much every Tuesday or excuse me, Monday night now, yeah. or I drive like I did this week, you know, okay. one or the other. Most of the time I fly Southwest and just, Oh yeah, that's know. easy. Yeah. So it's pretty quick into Jacksonville, Florida, but, and, and I, you know, you know, I'm from there. So I've got infrastructure. It's not as people can't quite understand what I'm doing. I'm like, guys, I I did my undergraduate degree, you know, at University of Florida. So it's a, it's, I already know the lay of the land. And so it's been, and surprisingly, it's actually been, you know, the hardest part being away from the kids weekdays and, you know, being away from the kids and then saying, Oh, Hey, daddy's home for a few hours, but I got to go get on, you know, Tracy Lawrence's bus now and be gone for two days. You know, so thankful for the job, unbelievably grateful to Tracy that he keeps me employed. And, and again, here, I've got this boss that's that cool. That's like, oh, you want to do grads? Yeah, go ahead, man. If you got to fly into some shows, no problem. I mean, he and my tour manager, Chuck wow. Purcell, I can't say enough about. Those guys, like, they basically just go, oh, yeah, Tom, what are you going to do? You know, what can you be in by this time? So we know you're, I'm like, absolutely. I mean, so I literally, last spring, my entire spring semester, I had a Thursday night class. You understand in this town. Oh, right. We always play Fridays and Saturdays, the occasional Thursday. Now I just missed the class. And they, they understood that at the university. But basically, I would, most of the time, I would leave 
from you know my class and sometimes drive right to Orlando to catch an early morning flight to then meet the bus in Denver or meet the bus in West Texas or upstate New York or wherever. And, you know, and here's, you can imagine how stressful that is for Tracy's organization. You know, they've got a pretty serious show to, to pull off and Hey, where's our drummer? <laughs> right. Exactly. So I am forever in their debt. And I'm, you know, I've been with him for about three years. So I, to the fact, and now they, they love to call me and they tease me. They call me Dr. Tom. I'm like, fellas, I'm not doing a doctorate. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> unless I'm, unless a university, unless, I have a job exactly, <laughs> and they're putting it. The, the production guys, our crew, love. They, they've got it on every case. It's, you know, there's gaff tape. Doctor Tom, Doctor Tom's rack, Doctor Tom's Tom. case. I love it though because I mean, it's it makes you feel so good because they all, to a man, are like it's like they're kind of vicariously like pulling for you. You know, they're proud yeah, of you for doing it. Right, right. But what is it about maybe just maintaining those two things? Those that yeah. you've got this graduate school and playing with Tracy Lawrence. Yeah. I mean, is that not enough? Was it, or do you just have just a broader vision of what you want to Yeah, as far as why I get involved in things, I've always been guilty of, I've got severe ADD, I'm sure. I never was diagnosed for it, but I'm sure I do. Because I just, the second I'm on something, Mm -hmm. I always want to be involved in all the other things I see around me. Oh, squirrel, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. but it is also too, I would say, using your girlfriend analogy from earlier, I dated a girl years ago who would say to me, well, pick one. What is it you're going to do? You can't teach and then go play and then be a studio musician and then promote shows and then, you know, teach, you know, do, get a college job. I'm like, yeah, you can. And oh, I know. And the other part is that she's like, and you can't have and create like indoor drum lines and all this nonsense you want to do. And I'm like, yeah, you can. And I, my attitude's always been like, no, you, I'm not. Don't tell me what I can't do, you know, because I want to do it all. Yeah. And and I've got friends here, some of our fellow drummer. I mean, you mentioned, you know, I, I think uh, it didn't come directly to me. It was I think Kevin Murphy said to Nick's one day they were doing something for the drummer jam. Said you know something about if is something like you know if Hurst would ever just focus on playing drums, you know, like oh. said it was a compliment. It was nice. Yeah. Like man, Tom could really be good, you know. But oh, he's right. Yeah. I'm the worst. I, I I barely practice. I'm embarrassed to say that because I'm usually too scattered. I'm like, oh, I got to study for that class. Or, oh, no way, we got to write a list for the next drummer jam. Or, you know, and and so, yes, the the thing that makes me want to be in it all is that I just, I I would rather have part of something than all of nothing. And I feel like when you cast a wide net and you're you're out there and all the things that you feel in your gut that you're meant to do, Mm -hmm. I don't know why I think I should promote things. It's not that I want to be a promoter. I want to see people come together. And honestly, I want to create something that I wish had been there for me when I came up. And, you know, and that's, that's, I, I'm, what's your motivation for yeah, doing the, like promotion? Yeah. The loud jams or putting on concerts, basically anything. It's totally happenstance. Again, I got to credit Chris cause we wouldn't do it if I didn't have somebody like Chris that, that can make, you know, I'm a drummer and I'm, I mean, yeah, sure. I play a little bit of piano and stuff, but I mean, I'm, a, I'm atrocious. I don't, I, you have to have a partner who's a killer musician yeah. to, to tackle some of the stuff I wanted to do. So the, the motivation initially was selfish. Like, Hey, let's find a way to play together yeah. and let's do some stuff we love. And once we met a few friends, that's where like when it was originally the loud jazz jam. Well, cool, man. This will be a place we could like play some fusion and stuff. And it was a total lark. I sat on the couch there one winter night, you know, when nothing's going on in Nashville and created a Facebook group with this ridiculously long name, Tom Hurst players jam, something, blah, blah, blah. And I had no intent. I thought, man, maybe people come once or twice. And Mervin that owns Douglas corner was nice enough to let me do it. Cause we, I had just booked a power triplets show there. Okay. And what we did is we invited friends to get up and play with us at the end. So that's Mervin thought that was kind of cool. He's like, man, you know, we used to have this guy, Mike Webb did a jam. I don't yep. have anybody, you know, and I yep. know, and I didn't really know Mike, but I knew a lot of my friends went to his jam. I said, I 
saw him at your last jam. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what's so neat because I've got so much respect for Mike. Now I've gotten to know who he is and everything. Right. And so it's really, that's gratifying to see him come out. And, you know, it's kind of that kind of thing where like, cool, okay, well, this must be halfway okay. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the real motivation, though, quickly changed once we did the first one and played. And, man, the room fills up. And there's all these people there. And, I mean, this was the winter of 2011. And, you know, we're up there playing, gosh, everything from Dixie Dregs to the Yellow Jackets to... Yeah, Frank Zappa. I mean, wow. and you know, and all we do is about seven tunes. And then we'd open the stage to everybody. And it was really just an open jam. But yeah. we kind of, it was kind of structured because some of my friends that would come out, and Chris was still new to town. He didn't know that many people. Okay. So part of it too was I wanted my buddy, who I think is an amazing guitar player, to yeah. get to meet all the people that I've had a chance to work with. Yeah. So, well, they quickly, trust me, he would play with everybody. It quickly became everyone knew who Chris Nix was, you know, which was awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, they're like, I want to play with that guy. Yes. And, uh, and really what, what, grew out of it I started looking around You, I had friends like the guys in Blake Shelton's band all came to me Tracy Broussard and I go way back and mm-hmm. Tracy goes man we want to do a thing like a dregs type thing we're going to call it trip to funk I'm like sure so yes, we would like feature them and yeah. say hey do four or five songs so yes. they created that Wes Little created the Big Greasy at one of our loud jazz jams okay. he basically was like man I'm going to bring some guys in and because we had his old keyboard buddy that lives here on the street actually Dave Cohen Dave worked with Joe Nichols with Wes and okay. I've known Dave and Dave had done stuff so Dave would play with us so it was really the it, it, the, it morphed in terms of motivation into a hey how can we bring people together how can it be more inclusive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was kind of the goal for about the next year and then as we did that I kept meeting more and more people and everybody had their little side project that they had nowhere to play you know, it could be somebody really, you know, like really outstanding, you know, like already very established. You would think like a Michael Whitaker, Adam Nitty, Tom Hemby, all those guys would come to me with their little, hey, this is music I write. I want to do it. I say, OK, well, cool. How about we book you? Well, and those guys have more material. So you're like, well, I'll just give you an hour and we'll do the jam in front and the back. So by the second year, it becomes more of a promoting a little mini concert. And I would book two groups in advance. And then me being me, Chris can tell you on this. I couldn't just do a couple. I had to go out and like book 24 different bands. Yeah. And, you know, so 12 weeks and I do a poster. And so I, I tend to do everything way to the extreme. Last week's Loud Jams, 34 songs, really? <laughs> we did 34 songs in one night. Oh, my God. Three and a half hours of music. And amazingly, people actually stayed. But, yeah, so that's that. It, the motivation of this when you talk about something like the Loud Jams has been to, to fulfill all the things. You know, selfishly, it's the stuff that I don't get to do elsewhere in my professional life. That's the selfish motivation. And now it's this all this music I love, like, you know, just a very obtuse. It could be Bad Man's Song by Tears for Fears or How Much I Love Seal, you know, and people look at me and go, Seal, you know, or, I, you know, whatever, yeah. Sade, I don't care. But I also oh, love, yeah. I love Motorhead, you know, and I love Miles Davis and Wayne Shorter. I just dig music, you know, and I think we all do. So, so that's really the main crux is bringing people together and playing stuff you don't get to do usually. Right. And have you noticed anything out of that, that, uh, where people have made those connections and have picked up gigs. <laughs> That's kind of funny you say that. I actually recommended somebody last night because somebody saw them on a gig and they called me and asked me about this individual for a particular gig opportunity. And I said, man, all I can tell you is they're a wonderful person. They're great. And this person that was looking was saying, hey, well, I really love their playing. They saw him play last week. Another one was, uh, I can use names, it's no big deal here, because, I mean, this is other situations, a little more sensitive, but um, is uh, uh, Tracy 
Snow and Tyson Leslie, who are both involved. Tyson's playing in our has really become kind of like a go-to keyboard guy for us. And Tracy's an old, as a friend of mine that I met through Marcus Finney that uh, got re- Marcus recommended me to play with her, and she's just awesome. And so she's been singing with us. Well, I think Tracy is going to do something with Tyson that he recommended her for since they met on the jam, and yeah. she had already recommended Tyson for something the previous week. And it's just man, that's so gratifying because we yeah. know how hard it is to get work. Yeah. I, I yeah. love seeing people get an opportunity. Right, right. But the impetus for this was not. It wasn't to, commercial. No. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I know that's. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. It, it, it's. It was more about for you and Chris to get together and play and do all those things that we don't get to do. That's it. With your artist, gig. meet new people, uh, and and you know, no doubt about it. And one thing for me, I'm always been an odd bird in that I seem to walk in several different circles. Like I'm just enough kind of hanging out with the guys who play Afro Cuban music because I can kind of do it, you know, sort of bad. And and so I I tend to be in a lot of different circles. And a goal was like, man, how can I get like the the people that I know from over at the Rock and Roll Residency to come play with my friends who are jazzers, and let's get them together in some cool way to where they by the end of the night go, man, you know, like and, and you know. I mean, not like I think I'm some, you know, I don't mean that as like I'm some Pied Piper that's going to... you just need somebody to champion that, that th- connection. That's it. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like I'm fortunate enough... To speak enough, up and yeah. say something. It's like, guys, can we get together? Well, yeah, I've always thought of that. But yeah. who's going to do it? I'll do it. Okay. Oh, dude. I mean, right now, as I sit here today, I mean, I, I still, we've done what? seven. This will be the seventh of the drummer jams. I'm determined, man. Shannon Forrest is my hero. I want Shannon to come play on one. You know, I want to get, I want to get Greg Morrow out. You know, yeah. those are the cats. I'll fire myself all day long so they'll come play yeah, because yeah. they're my heroes and that's that's really it near z i mean near yeah. i've been a fan of near since i auditioned for john mayer i auditioned for john right before fort room for squares came out and i transcribed that entire record and was like this near z guy i had always heard about him from genesis and i'm like this dude is a monster then i find out wow he's moving to nashville and then i go to work for tracy lawrence and tracy i'm like man these drum parts are awesome on this new record yeah. tracy's like oh yeah it's a guy is this guy near and i went near z He's like, yeah, yeah he did yeah, my, yeah. and so Nier does all of Tracy's albums now. And here I get to play the parts by one of the dudes, I think it's one of, absolutely, I put him up there in the category with Vinnie Caliuta, Weckle, Gad, anybody. I think Nier's phenomenal. And, and like, he was actually going to do one of the drummer jams for us before he got, he got sick, like right around the time of the show. You know, so it's, so we're still, you know, I still pester him, but that's really it. It's like you said, I feel like. Is he, do you know hmm? if he's going to do this next one? I don't think, no, the one coming up for us? Yeah. No, probably because of the, like the theme is more, it's so far removed from probably something I think he'd be interested in. Okay. We tend to try and be careful about asking, you know, it's like Chris coming and McHugh doing the, that was, that's totally Kevin Murphy. I mean, Chris doesn't know me from Adam, but he knows and trusts Keo and Kevin, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they were just, and you know, and Chris had been nice enough before to say, hey, I'd love to do it, but yeah. we didn't want to bother him if it wasn't something he was into. Well, he really dug Stewart, so he was like, right. man, by all means. I'm so, so bummed I missed that. Yeah, trust I'm me. I, I'm a McHugh fan I, I really like yeah oh gosh and as you can imagine he killed it and he was so genial to me he's just like so unassuming you kind of forget it's like yeah this guy's played on how many records you know yeah, and yeah. it's just again that's the thing i dig about it like when you say about the if there's a championing element i just want to make sure that i'm not too much of a pest and then it's authentic that it's genuine represent it's genuine not what can you do for me it's like hey i just love what you do and would love to have other people yeah. see you in a different light you know, and you certainly, it's not like any of those people need it. You know, it's like, you know, Chris McHugh doesn't need anybody to tell everyone how great he is, but it's just neat to see him come have fun and get the love too. You know, just have guys that aren't, you know, that are his, some of his peers and maybe some people he didn't know. You know, it's kind of, that was one of the coolest things was to yeah. see him even like go back, you know, 
thing. You know, like you can tell he's checking somebody out, and that that to me is really gratifying. And you hope you're not too much you're not too much of a bother. You know. Well, and, and just the things that the, the takeaway, especially for me, uh, seeing the one you guys did last December, and just like wow, I didn't know. And it, you know, for me, it was some of the guys I didn't know. Yeah. And some of the young players I had never heard before. And I'm like Billy Freeman. <laughs> Yeah, 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 totally, like totally. Donnie Marple and Billy Freeman. Those guys scare me to death. I'm just like, y'all got to quit practicing. It's this, right, it's this combination of like, oh, I'm depressed. And, and you're wow, inspired. And I'm excited. And exactly. I, I want to go home and practice for all the, the right reasons. You know, that's the thing about Matthew is that you're like, you get that idea of that you, it while it can be so demoralizing, when you're right there and those guys are forces of nature, it's like being behind Murphy, you know, or Pat McDonald when they play yeah. and you're just going, oh. But the thing that's so cool is that it, you you get you said it earlier. We ultimately come back. Why do we do this? That's a real litmus test. The ones who really love this, man, you might be a little. It's intimidating, but it's also just as much. It gets you fired up. Like, wow, that's possible. My background, uh, you know, everyone teases me, you know, the traditional grip and the way I play is it's, you know, I marched drum corps uh, in the 1980s. I marched in 1985 in a group called Forda Wave. Both of these drum corps no longer exist, but Forda Wave would have been like a top 20, if you know anything about Drum Corps International, okay. the competitive circuit. They were about a top 20, whereas the other corps I marched in in 1988 was called Suncoast Sound. Yep. I played snare drum in both. Um, and Suncoast was a much more successful organization. They were what we'd call top 12, which is kind of the elite. Okay. <laughs> Crazy <It> cats. <laughs> and uh, and so in the interim there, um, I was playing in bands and stuff, you know, because I'm just out of high school. I was like a senior in high school when I marched the first group, and I think I was like my second year of college. But during that time, I, I got hired between that. I, I was I had been a student musician at Walt Disney World in Orlando. Yes. Back as far as like, I mean, I did that during my senior year of high school also. Like I marched wow. drum corps the summer before my senior year, came home, and then my drum instructor recommended me to audition for the college, uh, no, not the college bands, but the, uh, the student musician events. And they basically do parades, and they have these all student-based groups. They're either high school students, mostly college students. Well, I was fortunate enough to make the group. And so we would then rehearse in November on weekends. And then you played in the parks over your holiday break pretty much every day. You know, we'd work like nine to five. But if you ever saw the Christmas morning parade that Kathy Lee Gifford and Regis, we were the musicians in that parade. So it's all student musicians and then, and the student dancers. So it's a real, it's a fun gig, you know? And actually one of the guys that does the loud jams right now, Jeff Coffey, you'll probably hear me talk more about him. I met him there in 1985 as a trombone player. Wow. And here he is flying up now. And I mean, there's tons in between. (laughs) We've been in multiple bands together. We had a record deal together. I mean, we've been through a lot of stuff together. But but the funny thing is, is way back in 1985, we bonded over our love of groups like Level 42 and the Mr. Mister. And, you know, we were both like nuts about the, you know, and love, of course, Journey and, you know, and things like that. So it's just pretty gratifying. 30 years later, I'm still doing things with him. And that's so the the drumline thing there, I would never have been at Disney if it had hadn't been for being in drum lines because right. I, my instructor was a drum corps alumni. Um, you look here in town, guys like Kevin Murphy, March Madison scouts, uh, um, oh gosh, Russ Whitman that plays for uh, Craig Morgan, Russ marched in Carolina crown, Carolina thunders, uh, Christopher Williams works, plays with accept and does stuff. Christopher's, I think he was Carolina, it's Carolina gold. I, I forget. I get a little confused on who was where, mm-hmm. uh, Keith Dudex, another guy that was in the Madison scouts. So yes. basically drum corps was a big, big, big part for me of really kind of, 
first getting away from home, you know, kind of learning to you know yeah. grow up a yeah. little bit, be yeah. responsible for myself. Mm-hmm. But also it put me in settings to understand like what really trying to attain real excellence in music, not elite, nothing, nothing elitist, but like how do I really challenge myself to maximize my own potential? And you know, trust Can you me. Give an example of that. Yeah, sir, like absolutely. My eighty-five. I mean, I'm sixteen years old. I'm the one rookie in an eight-man eight snare line. Most of the guys have all got at least another year of drum corps, you know, again or more. And I was far and away the weak link. And, you know, every day was a challenge. Every day they're pushing me, you know, but and you'd wake up, you know, in, in drum corps, you used to travel back in those days, we'd leave in late May and we'd pretty much stay out all summer. So you'd at least two, two and a half months that you're on a charter bus, you know, multiple charter buses and you're traveling. We'd probably travel about 15,000 miles back then. The drum corps now have kind of cut down a little because it's just too expensive. So, you know, and, and you're, being your round players who are everyone's better than you everybody's pushing you to a different level you know and mm-hmm. i'm playing in a line where i'm s- just barely 16 and i'm with guys who are 21 oh, you know wow. so the there's huge disparity mm-hmm. college music majors and you know and now there's me you know so right, right. so you really it it, it 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 a it hipped me to so much music i wasn't aware of i never would have known about somebody like you know i mean even someone as obvious as steve gadd or knowing about jazz music you know or reggae right. and you know steel pan and right. especially i was lucky that i did my first group in Miami because that's such a cultural melting pot. Yeah. A lot of the cats in the line were great drum set players. They were into a lot of different music. And so they, you know, kind of invigorated my interest. And I mean, I'm here, I'm this kid from North Florida. You know, Gainesville's a university town and all, but still, I was your typical little... You're like, I know some Tom Petty. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> that's pretty much me. I'm like, I, I like that band Rush. <laughs> you know? But but in all seriousness, that's, you know, here I, I plan along to Creedence Clearwater Revival because that's what my dad had in his album collection, you know? And, yeah. and so, yeah, so so definitely drum corps kind of got me on that path. And then I was lucky enough to, at, from doing the student musician thing, I got, I got offered the opportunity to play in one of the, uh, well, to audition when we were one of the full-time groups. And I was actually recommended by, if you're familiar at all with Beth and Danny Gottlieb that are here in town. Yes. I, I, I've known Danny. I've known his playing for years. I'm a huge sure. Pat Metheny fan. Yeah. Uh, I went to a gig recently uh, at a piano, the piano warehouse uh-huh. we went to see a friend of ours and the group that he hired had, had Danny playing drums? Danny and, and was Beth playing percussion? Beth playing percussion. Kind of, yeah. And I did not recognize them until they introduced them. And then my <laughs> jaw dropped. Yeah. And my wife's like, Do you know that guy? I was like, Yes, I do. And was it we, Anthony Belfiglio's gig by any chance or a different different person? A different person. Okay, yeah, gotcha. From our church. But it, okay. it, it was great to meet him. Oh, and, Danny's uh, Danny is salt of the earth, sweet so as they come. I'm, I'm and here he is, forward, a, you know, he's a legend. I'm looking forward to, to, to talking with him for well, sure. I, there, Beth, his wife, is kind of like my big sister in terms of she really guided was was a, a, an essential guide for me in getting more serious about music in terms of studying it. You know, because okay. Beth did her undergrad, I believe, and or masters. No, she did did her undergrad at Alabama and did her masters at Eastman with John uh, John Beck, the famous tempanist, and she was yeah. like his star student. Um, Beth was a legend at Disney because she's one of the best readers I've ever seen in my life. You can put anything in front of her, snare drum, marimba, and she marched snare drum in the spirit of Atlanta, which was in and when she was in it, it was in a legendary drum. Corps, a guy right, named Tom right. Float. I did not do drum corps. Yeah. I, I recognize a lot of, a lot these, of these names. names. Like yeah, if you talk sure. to drum corps people and say the Tom Float spirit lines or the early Tom Float blue devil lines, you know, the Kevin Murphy's and Russ and me, we're all, ooh, because, you know, we love those drum lines. And that's Beth was a snare drummer in those lines, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah. So she's a, just a, like one oh, of my. She, it was very impressive to yeah. see her play that night. It was and, great. and see, she recommended me and she and, and the guy that my 
Paul Rorig, who had been my drum instructor in high school, Paul was now working full-time already out at Disney, and they had an opening in the group he was in at Epcot, and he and Beth both kind of went to bat for me to audition, and okay. as luck would have it, I ended up getting a full-time job at Disney, 40-hour-a-week benefits. Well, my understanding is that Disney's pretty heavy-duty. It's pretty competitive, and I mean, to be perfectly honest, there's no way I land a gig in that band I came into, because everyone else in the band, here I am with a year of community college. I wasn't even at University of 40 yet. I was at Santa Fe Community College, a little bit of drum corps, and I played in my little bands around town. And all of a sudden, I'm in a band with guys who have master's degrees from Indiana University, tons of North Texas players. What what was it besides the connections that allowed you to do this? You know, it was honestly really that I just happened to be auditioning for the right thing. They needed a bass drummer. I was, it's, these are atmosphere groups. You'd have three percussionists. You didn't want a drum set gig. So I was the bass drum guy. So it's very, very easy. I mean, and from a standpoint, like of the part difficulty, you know, I'm playing with trombone players who are unreal. And I mean, and we're playing pretty you know, we, this band, it was called T-Bone Brass. We do everything from Earth, Wind & Fire to Tower of Power. I mean, and these are pretty involved arrangements they had done right, for this right. for a nine, eight or nine trombones, two tubas, and then a three-man drum section. It's like the Dirty Dozen Brass Band. Gotcha. gotcha. Except a little more souped up. Yeah. I was just lucky enough that my one thing I did well, I had a good sense of feel. I played the parts. I understood what not to play. Yeah. You know, they basically, it's the old keep it simple thing or under, you know, but really they trusted me because I had good feel. I had nothing else. Trust me. When we would do drum set, like the days in rehearsal on our rehearsal days, the other two guys, Paul and Don would play drum set and they're both really fine drum set players. And then there's, you know, <laughs> Bozo hops on the kit and, you know, and I could play my little groovy beats, but when it came time to read down a tower power chart, <clears throat> please. You know, I was stumbling and bumming. I was 18. I barely yeah. just, I turned 19 while I was in the group. Fortunately, that group got laid off quickly. Disney, Disney happened to do a big cutback, like at the second year. Now, unfortunately for the other guys, good for me because it gave, while I was in the group, I got to meet Rich Madison, who had run, had run the program at North Texas state that back then when now it's UNT or whatever they call it. But he had run their improv program and was starting a new program at University of North Florida. Well, the guys all told him, and down there they didn't call me Tom. They called me Jethro because I'm a big, dumb kid. I mean, again, I'm really, I'm like the little goofy mascot. And they're like, man, Jethro needs to go back to college. And so I ended up getting a chance to go to UNF. And that's on a scholarship. And that's really where I got my reading together, where I got serious about playing. And I was only there for a year, but I, I hadn't had a chance to be in a real music school where you take theory and, you know, you study music history and you're getting this real understanding. Of, was oh. this a goal all along? Or do you think that just as things unfolded, these it's events unfolded. unfolded in front of you, people, yeah. and you were getting advice from older experienced it was definitely the goal i mean when i look back i was groping in the dark i I had this grand idea that i was going to be sting's drummer someday basically you know i i I will say this there are some of my friends and you'll see them on facebook stuff the guys i used to play with two guys in particular i owe everything to rob uh, rob bulwer he goes by carter on 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 facebook and a guy named joey hernandez and those two guys i played in a band with them during my senior year the summer after my senior year so i'd already marched drum corps the year before didn't do drum corps in summer of 86 turned down actually being in Suncoast Sound, <laughs> but oh, wow. they got a better guy anyways, the much better replacement. But um, those two guys, we spent a summer playing there at, at UF, and we would play fraternity parties. Good grief. That's thunder. Wow. Nice. Uh, we were, we'd play fraternity parties and different events, and they, in that band, we'd play everything from like Imperial Strut by the Yellow Jackets over to Scritty Politti to over wow. to, we'd do like a 10-song police cover set with things like Tea in the Sahara. So they're much older than me, bass player and guitarist. Joey, the guitar player, could sing, could really do Sting. So we did this whole Sting set. Oh, wow. That summer really made me realize, okay, this is my goal. 
Like I want to be a musician, but I wasn't still, I wasn't on the path. I always thought, oh gosh, I couldn't do the, like the formal academic, you know, I, you know, kind of like, you know, conservatory musician. I thought I'm not good enough to do that. I just thought I seem to have this thing on drum set. I've got a pretty good sense. And those guys really encouraged me. They're like, Tom, you got a pretty, you know, kind of for your age, you've got kind of a special thing going in terms of feel time, you know, and they're, they pick me apart too. I mean, we'd be playing like Pat Travers and they'd be like, man, you're not playing boom, boom, out goes the lights. That shuffles all wrong. So, you know, I learned a lot from guys like that and then all the Disney guys. So to answer the question, you know, more directly, it wasn't a goal initially. It was more of, you know, by discovery, by sort of just falling down the rabbit hole and going, oh, this is pretty cool. And realizing that there was a way to actually potentially that you could go make yourself good enough that maybe you might be noticed by yeah. the, the stings of the world that yeah. someday, you know, I was always kind of, and I mean, I, as I sit here today, I still feel like that's way out there someday. Well, I'm 46, so we probably, <laughs> I don't think Vinny has to worry about anything from me. <laughs> well, and I guess what I'm saying is, is, there was something about your playing and something about your musicality, even at that age and where there was uh, maybe a lack of experience, even at that point in your life, at 16, 17, 18, yeah. you had people just a little bit older that were recognizing that. And, and although they were giving you a hard time, they, were also, knew, they also knew that... This is good. Yeah. I've had them all come back to me and always say, I mean, to a man, and, you know, they all tell me now it's mostly through Facebook. They're like, Tom, it was real obvious real early that you just had That's some right. kind of. And the funny thing is I got I to gotta credit my dad because my family's not like musical. My mom will tell you she's lucky to play the radio, but my father played drums. Uh, my dad passed away when I was real young. He was, I was six. And he was a, he was a, his real thing besides being a geological engineer, what you would now call like environmental engineer, his real passion was cave diving. He was an avid cave diver, mapped a lot of the caves wow. and that's why we lived in North Florida he had come to he went to the University of Florida to be you know because he wanted to be in, in the heart of an area that has karst topography or basically you know un, you know the underwater cave systems so he had logged the last three years of his life he logged over 300 cave dives wow. I mean all over I've and I've learned a lot of this from some of the cave divers of today who knew my dad you know and it's kind of neat they're like your dad was a pioneer in terms of mapping the cave systems. so it's pretty cool to find out that my pops was really great I mean drums were more just a little hobby for him However, his mother, my grandmother, is from Sheffield, Alabama, from basically Muscle Shoals. Dad grew up in that region. I don't know if whatever they talk about, what's in the water. I will say the thing I get from a lot of people, I get it from all my buddies who are African-American. They're like, Tom, man, you sure you, man, you, you got some groove. You know, yeah. I get it. I mean, that's the only thing I ever get. And that's a lot of my buddies, my favorite music, all my favorite musicians. You know, I really look up to, you know, African-American musicians and, right. you know, musicians from, you know, the, you know, Hispanic musicians. And it's just, I'm not really a guy that grew up on, you know, meat and potatoes, you know, white boy rock and roll. That just isn't what I, what I loved. And my dad was kind of the same way. So I think if there's anything driving me and it wasn't because I was like some, I didn't know all about Al Jackson and you know no but is there one thing that people say to even yeah. new people that meet you this that if there's a compliment about your style the way you play the way you approach the drums yep. that you hear often i make it look easy they all tell me that they all tell me that they're like it looks really easy for you and it looks like it's like just that. second nature like and you know to a point that it's a criticism sometimes too like when i've auditioned for gigs or even gigs i've been on i mean and i'll say names i mean they're great guys i'm good friends gary allen they let me go i wasn't really the right guy yeah. because if you've ever seen larry babb play that gig he's perfect and he's so he's larry babb he's awesome i love him dearly we're we've become good buddies i was on that gig for about three months and they're like tom man we love everything about you you know the tunes cold you're just not 
not, we want someone more rock, man, more big. And if you've ever, the way I play, I'm more, you know, I'm more coming from a very, my favorite drummer probably of all time is not Steve Gadd. It's not, it's Phil Gould from Level 42. You know, that's my real hero, you know, and I love a guy that teaches at University of Alabama, Mark Lanter. He's, I mean, nobody knows him, you know, if you don't, and it's, but it's both those guys, the way they play, they kind of had this interesting high, you know, they bring elements of the groovy kind of slinky thing of a gad, but they still have some of that chops component, you know, and that's, I'm somewhere in between because of my drum corps background, but because I come from like musical, a musical upbringing that is very much, you know, kind of soul driven and, you know, groove based. And somebody's going to want that. Somebody, well, I mean, obviously somebody does want that. Oh yeah. No, no, I've been, I've been very fortunate. Yeah. They want that. Well, the irony is if you told me I was going to be Tracy's drummer, I tell him this all the time and we laugh. He laughs how clueless I am about country history. He's like, Hey Tom, I want to do some Keith Whitley. Who's Keith Whitley. He looked at me like, are you out of your mind? And Tracy, you got to understand is like encyclopedia Britannica. You can't stump him. He knows every country song that comes on. Oh, that's so-and-so he starts singing it. I mean, he's Tracy Lawrence, you know, meanwhile, you got, you know, Dumbo over here and I'm like, you sure you hired the right guy? (laughs) But ironically, we do some yellow jackets. Yeah, exactly. Right. And all of what's funny is we just cover, we just do, we're covering a Joe Cocker tune. Now that the magic is gone, he loves Joe Cocker. That's the thing about TL. TL is a huge music fan, man. I, that's, I so admire him for that because he's, I mean, here he is. He's iconic. He's got his, you know, he's like jukebox, but yet he's still a super enthusiast. He loves Don Henley. He loves all sorts of, and he loves new bands, man. He gets seriously fired up about a lot of these young cats and, and, you know, the new artists like that are in the, both in the genre and just pop stuff. Like he loves Imagine Dragons. He likes, he's always listening to, he listens to hip hop. He turns us on to hip hop. I'm going, really? (laughs) But, but it's like you said, coming back around to it. I think the thing, you know, whether years ago when I played for Backstreet, I mean, I was their first drummer and it was mainly I I auditioned against five other guys who all of whom I know are better players than I am in terms of like they were people I really looked up to around town in Orlando. It just so happened the energy I brought to the gig was right for that situation. They wanted a guy who had a real slinky kind of in there, like almost a drum loopish type of guy. You know, this is 1994, 95, whenever I first played for them. And Johnny Wright, their manager, had managed New Kids on the Block. Well, all the players in the New Kids band were basically what today you would say is a gospel chops band. And Johnny saw something in me that was kind of, I kind of had that thing, but he was like, man, I want you to watch some VHS. He made me watch live VHS of New Kids. And so I emulated what I saw. I don't even know the guy's name. And the new kid's drummer from way, way, way back. <laughs> you know, a video of him, actually, that he put out. Uh, he was a killer. Video. He was a great drummer. I, I can't remember his name. Hopefully someone will hear this and, and write in. Right. Uh, he put out a great video. and uh, I'm embarrassed because I always tell my students, man, you got this thing in your hand. iPhones, you can look that up. And here I am, you know. Don't practice what you preach. No, well, <laughs> I'm so bad. No, no, no. It helps practice memory retention. Yeah. Well, it's, I can say that, you know, that was neat to work with someone like Johnny, too, because he was, he was rough, man. He'd tell you point blank. I mean, gosh, look at him now. He still manages Justin Timberlake. I mean, he's no dummy. He's a, and I, and I, fortunately, I had the good sense to listen you know, attentive, you know, be very attentive. And, and, you know, we had several people involved in that organization that, you know, how long did you work with them? I was only with them for until they went to Europe for two years. I was the dummy who turned down going over to Europe. Johnny was basically offered me the opportunity, but no, I got my band and I did. Don't get me wrong. You'll see me on Facebook yak about them all the time as a group called what it is. I was, it's still to this day, you know, and taking nothing away from the band house of dreams that Jack Sizemore and myself, Jeff, and eventually ended up getting signed with the band I was in, and they'll agree, it's the best band I've ever been personally a part of, was this group What It Is. Um, If you're familiar with jazz stuff, you know John Schofield, like his Uber Jam band, the other guitar guy, Avi? 
Oh, from um, yeah. Was he a member of? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm thinking of somebody else. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. If you see, yeah, if you see any of the like, anytime Schofield's doing his like up all night, the bump stuff, like the his like more his funk band yes. that he does, the he has a second guitar player, okay. Avi Bortnick. That guy, I was in his band. So oh, Avi had come wow. to of all things, he came to University of Florida. I was living in Orlando, and he comes to yeah. UF as a graduate student himself from California. Well, wow. he and Charlie Hunter and Will Bernard, oh, right. Josh Redmond, they'd all gone to school together. Oh, wow. So you got this guy yes. wandering around on campus at University of Florida, and he's seeing our music scene, which is very like you know that's where Sister Hazel comes from it's very rock pop mm-hmm. and you got this total stone cold funk jazz guy that's into Roy Ayers and like totally knows that stuff from the Bay Area <laughs> so I just lucked out and happened to get approached by somebody that said man there's a drummer that's from here but he's in Orlando y'all ought to give him a call and I ended up playing with that band and so that band was doing so well we were really getting a lot of label interest the, you know the typical thing but we really were playing for a lot of heavy people um, actually, Randy Jackson off American Idol, you know, flew us out to California. We'd played for Tommy LaPima in New York. We really thought we were getting a deal. I turned down being in Sister Hazel because of being in that band. Because I grew up with Ken and Andrew, the two front men of Sister Hazel. So we're, I still play with them to this day, but we can talk about that later. But uh, they uh, basically, Johnny, was they were offering us the opportunity to go over and do some stuff in Europe with the boys. We would fly over. And I wanted to move to California with what it is. Avi wanted us to move out to the Bay Area. So I went to, I went to the Bay Area in 95 and said, no thanks to Backstreet. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> In this business is all about decisions. Absolutely. And, uh, you have to make those tough choices. Yeah. And you never know. You can't predict. You know, I do. And, and I mean, and it shows why you wouldn't want me to be an A&R. Because I remember thinking, I was playing with the boys and the, I'm thinking these rehearsals. I'm like, man, this is 1994-95. Who's going to want to hear this? It's the age of grunge, man. It's Pearl Jam, Nirvana, you know. Mm-hmm. And we went to play in, in, of all places. I didn't think of this till right now. Columbus, Ohio was oh, my right. first gig with them. It was for a sad convention in your in y'all's uh, your main convention center. Yes. Oh my gosh, that place was wall to wall because it's the national sad you know, whatever it used to be students against drunk driving. It was whatever students yeah. against destructive decisions. But they they the boys went on stage. That place erupted, and I'm like. I had no idea. I mean, I think they had been doing some track stuff where they would go out and sing. I don't mean, and, and those boys did sing. People were always like, oh, they can't. I'm like, they can sing. They're not, yeah, not individually. They were quite good, at, you know, as a unit, and they'd sing to backing tracks. We, once they hired the band, you know, and this is our first show with them. I mean, it's, I, I had to put earplugs in because they're screaming so loud. And I thought, hmm. stadium yeah, you realize you're like, man, maybe there's going to be something to these guys. And we played in the Bahamas, same thing. I, I, with them, we opened. We had to go on right after Etta James, out in oh, in, uh, no. in California. No, no, Seattle. Excuse me. It was a BMI or BMG convention up in Seattle. But the neat thing is the the Columbus show is where the people from Jive Records came to see them. Polygram, I think it was Polygram, was supposed to come see them. They blew them off. The Jive guys showed up and they were talking to him. So it was one of those instances of the the record label people actually basically offering them you know the first steps of a deal and sure enough they negotiated the record deal within the next few months by that following spring we were playing for songwriters we did a thing at a place in orlando called jj whispers and they would it was a big top 40 club they did a private night they brought in every heavy songwriter you could think of had them out there and we just played for them the boys played their current repertoire none of which made their records wow Quick about sure. how the Tracy Lawrence gig came about. Man, I, I that's a really good question, that, and because I can't give enough credit to um, 
my buddy Elliot, and he was nice enough. He's a was was Tracy's monitor engineer, mm-hmm. but we had worked together before he ever had that job. And um, they basically Elliot and I had worked for a couple different groups back when I was still with Chuck Wicks, mm-hmm. and I had recommended Elliot a couple times to do some things with us with with Chuck. So then he gets the gig with TL with Tracy, and at the time back then they had a Cliff. Um, God, I'm such an airhead with last names. God, I've known Cliff for years. Anyways, Tracy's drummer at the time. Cliff was a buddy of mine, mm-hmm. you know, known from around town. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can tell how close we are. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm so good at remembering. Well, right. Yeah, Cliff, yeah, Cliff Thompson. Gosh, thank you. Finally comes okay. to me. And Cliff, he, Cliff, he's awesome. Sings great. So anyways, he, I just had texted Cliff saying, hey, how's my buddy? Man, I, you know, I hope you guys like Elliot. And they're like, oh, man, we love him. He's great. We're already right. teasing him. You know, right. you, you know yeah. they like you. Right. <laughs> you know? So they're calling him like, oh, God, you know, coming up with nicknames for him. And so Elliot was there for, gosh, he became Tracy's production manager, was there for probably about three years before I guess they were making a change and a different opportunity had arisen. One of their guys was leaving. This was after Cliff had already had left. And they... I was still doing stuff with Chuck, but we weren't working that much. I was actually subbing for people. I was like sub for Wes Little with uh, Joe Nichols. I'd sub for James Otto. Uh, you know, just a, just a handful of different things were kind of coming my way, and I was still teaching a lot. You know, so I could find ways to you know make ends meet. Um, I get a call, you know, out of the blue, walking out of a, of a drum lesson for the student over in Bell Mead, you know, and I, and, and it's like, hey, this is Joe Caverly. I'm with Tracy Lawrence. And I'm like, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right, man. <laughs> you know, like, and I, and I said, yeah. And he's like, no, I, uh, Tommy said, uh, you know, you know, Elliot had recommended you and I came out and saw you play a, a few months ago at, uh, down at, um, Wild Horse. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, wow, he knows what he's talking about. So he's like, man, we're really interested in you, you know, wondering if you'd be into the gig. And sure. if so, if you could, could you start in two weeks? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Tracy Lawrence. And then I'd open for TL a lot, either both with back with Bucky Covington, Trent Tomlinson and Chuck Wicks. So I've probably opened for Tracy at least six times, maybe seven times okay. over the last, the prior five years. Yeah. And, um, you know, I didn't know much about them. I just knew Cliffy and I kind of knew Darren a little bit. I'd been introduced to Darren, the guitar player, mm-hmm. but I knew that TL, you know, had a ton of material. Yeah. So I thought, right. Oh my gosh. So I said, yeah, could you, I said, what exactly? He said, no, we just need you to learn a show right now. We'll worry about getting you worked up on additional material. Yeah. And Joe was just so nice. So, so they wanted you. There was no, like there was no audition. audition. It was purely, they had seen me play back in the day with, Chuck opening because I think what happened is once Elliot pointed out to them who I was they're like oh that guy with Chuck Wicks yeah so yeah. that was kind of it and uh, and basically next thing I know you know I'm, I think I started uh, that was 2013 it was a February I want to say February 2nd of 2013 was my first show first weekend and the funny thing was my first weekends in Lake City Florida which is 30 miles from literally where I where I grew up right, right. I didn't tell a soul I didn't tell anybody. Oh, really? Oh, I thought, man, if I fold, I'm not telling anybody I won this. <laughs> so I don't tell anyone. And I don't even, even my mom, after the show, I, t- I called her and said, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm kind of nearby. <laughs> you, know, you know, but we were playing the next day in Lakeland. So, yeah. so yeah, so it was a, it was funny. And I, to this day, I still, I'm stunned, you know, knock on wood, you know, you at this business, you're, you're never anywhere that long, but I sure am grateful. I can't believe that I've been fortunate enough to be there. Sounds I went, like it's been a great gig. Dude, and, they, and it's, Tracy's it, been a good, he's, he, he's such a great boss. guy to play with. He's a great boss and the guys are it's the best you know is working up here you know i talk about what it is being one of the absolute best bands feel the same way here i mean ben gedry awesome. steve pool the whole crew darren joe i mean it's they're really yeah. they're just an ungodly musicians and just and even better guys i want to talk about the drummer's jam mm-hmm. and the next one coming up Absolutely. i want to talk about um just the drummer jam in general and how it got started, mm-hmm. your involvement with it, 
kind of how you see it affecting the community, the broader right. community, uh, not only in Nashville, mm-hmm. but you guys had a two-page spread in Modern Drummer yeah. uh, as a result of the Neil Peart tribute that you right. did last December. Um, so I don't want to get into necessarily, necessarily specifics about who you're going to be covering in December. Sure, sure. We could do that here yeah. in a second, but I want to talk about just overall. And right. maybe how it's affected uh, your other things. Your other yeah, because it has. It is. It's. It's really brought me. I have a different perspective, and it probably brought a little bit more clarity to, like, if you will, like a bit of having a mission statement. Yeah. You start realizing, oh wow, this is a really good thing when you can bring people together mm-hmm. with, you know an altruistic motive, you know, of like, Hey, how can we all come together to do good work? And that's the number one thing. I mean, you got to credit. It's all, it's David Parks's brainchild. You know, this is Parks. He was just nice enough to come to me because I was already doing the loud jazz jams, you know, with Chris, since Chris and I were already doing that, he saw, he knew, and and I was also booking shows. So he knew I'd had some experience with dealing with things like the logistics of it, you know, booking the show, getting the production set up, dealing with tickets and stuff that David just hadn't done. But he had seen, you know, Brian Tucci's the Bonzo bash out in LA and really thought that would be cool. Um, it was purely a matter of David saying to me, I would like to do this. And I was, you know, honestly a little overwhelmed with everything else I had going on. (laughs) Imagine that's a theme at the time because I was teaching school for, um, uh, oh gosh, um, doesn't matter really, but as middle school over here, I was, I was of all things, I was the strings teacher for one year at Donaldson Middle School. Okay. Oh, yeah, if you can believe that. Well, that's because I had a bachelor's degree and I'd substitute taught a lot in metro schools. Yeah. Their, art, their arts director knew me and knew I could organize a classroom. And, I'd, and what I did is I went and got all my friends who were fantastic bass players, violinists, and I'd bring them in. You know, and I mean, I had taken string methods, but you don't want me playing for you. Well, <laughs> you know? I did education for yeah. a couple of years. You I understand. understand right? You understand. It's, you don't have to be the expert. You just have to go get the experts and, you know, yes. and present them to your students and hopefully and make some sense you know, in terms of pedagogy. Um, but yeah, so that at that time, I was kind of overwhelmed with that and just still doing stuff with Chuck and everything. So I remember the day David called me about it, and I was kind of ex- almost exasperated, like, yeah, yeah, I guess. I, sure, I'll see what I can do to help you, you know, because I was kind of getting inundated with that one at the time because we'd been doing the Loud Jazz Jam. But it's Parks. It's my boy. I mean, this guy and I have been friends. We met on stage at the CMA Fest playing down on the River stage probably in like 2000. Six, seven, whenever I was with Trent Tomlinson, mm-hmm. you know, and I remember immediately thinking, "Man, I like your plan." And he came up to me and did the same thing. We've been buddies ever since. Nice, you know, typical, nice. typical Nashville, right? right, right. Um, but there's just such a genuine. David has such a big heart and is just cares so much about helping people. Yeah. And he, it's never about Dave. You know, it's always he's really sincerely wants to make other people feel better, yeah. and that that inspired me you know and I, at a time right where i was getting kind of tired of doing the loud jazz jam i was just sort of turned off i mean honestly i was turned off by sometimes people's motivations you know and that's not talking about my friends or the people i do it with it was just you just see a lot of people doing the me 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 what can i get out of it where can i get a gig you know mm-hmm. i'm like bro i got no i got no answers no more than any of us do you know you just right, right. i just try and come out let's have some fun and hopefully you make new friends that's how you get a gig right you right, know because right. it's based building relationships and that is if you to say what the drummer jam has become it's it no question about it david you know initially when he asked me to do it is he wanted to do something to help out jerry gaskell you know jerry was in a bad way and we're all big all of us are that was the instant connecting point between myself parks and nicks the two of them more so than me they both are really into king's x i love king's x but i didn't know the material like they did i mean they're right like you know kevin murphy's the same way those guys know that stuff inside out and i was just more interested in the i thought it was just a cool idea and of course i what david was saying he's like tom you already know a lot of these guys and Nick's teases me calls me the human Rolodex because I kind of I have these people and I think the thing for me the one thing I knew I could bring to the table is 
trust that the people that know me and know I have their number and stuff know they're not going to get a text from me saying, hey, man, if you can find me a job, let me know. And I, I never have a problem with that. It's funny. I have no problem coming, someone coming to me. If I can help someone, I'd be glad to. I feel weird going to anybody else. I would right. rather go I get, understand. you know, I'd rather find some other way to make an income and then just and still play because I just don't want to impose on my friends. But it sort of dawned on me. It's like, wow, this is a cool thing that if we bring this to guys in a way, you know, guys and gals, not to be a chauvinist over here. I mean, it's like, because I can think of some of my, some of my girlfriends who are amazing drummers, <laughs> fantastic, right. you know, Sarah Tomac, you know, it's like, yeah, and sure. you, and it, you know, it's like, I just want to make sure we wouldn't impose on them. That's always. And so David, I knew everyone knows and loves Dave. So this could be really cool. Mm-hmm. And it did, I man. We, you know, I, we used Douglas corner since I already had the relationship with Mervin. Yeah. Um, we kind of did, I did all the logistics of like, let's get, you know, the, the sort of David, David lined up, you know, who he wanted drummer wise yeah. initially. And honestly, initially, Initially, it was like all we could do just to get 12 to 15 people to do it. That's the funny thing now when everyone's like, how do I get on it? Right. I'm like, guys, right. you know, you were called three, four years, you know, well, not three, four years, three years ago. <laughs> you know, yeah. Back then you weren't taking the phone call. So, I mean, right. it, Dave's way more diplomatic. Well, that's, not, it's, yeah. that's an interesting point yeah. because it's gotten to the point. It's, it has such a groundswell mm-hmm. that not only do you see lots of people showing up to the show yeah. every time, uh, modern drummer is taking notice. Yeah, and they've been drummers and iconic local drummers are saying, "Hey, yeah, I'd be happy to do it." I mean, we've literally had some pretty iconic players come to us after the fact and go, "Why didn't you call me?" I'm like, "We tried to get to you." (laughs) You know, know, that's it's a difficult thing because it's a you know you're absolutely right. There's the interest, and I mean, I can't say enough about Rick Malkin that you know does all the photography, and he'll tell you a funny story on me. I really didn't know who Rick was. I mean, I knew his name, but I didn't connect the face with the name. Whereas Dave and all the guys all knew him. I, again, it's kind of typical me. I'm, you know, coordinating the shows. I think it was the Jeff Procaro show that we're doing. And that one was packed to the gills. And because and, I was a typical overdoing it, Tom, I think we had 60 some musicians on that one. Just insane. Six different rhythm sections, so many drummers, 26 songs. I don't know, 25, you have to ask Parks. But anyways, it was it was pretty stressful. And I was also, I had a show in like Minnesota with Tracy that we were getting back, oh. northern Minnesota, like the, oh, the, no. the Saturday night. So I spent all day Sunday on the bus, couldn't get internet, still trying to coordinate rehearsals. Two nights, a, re- a night at one night, George Lawrence had everybody at his place, yeah. Sunday night, and then back on Monday, I think, at the club. We had, you know, you're, it's like, you know, hey, Matt Billingsley can't get back from Taylor Swift, you know, but so-and-so can you're going, good God, they might make it, you know, and so I'm trying to coordinate that side of it. So yeah. that was, I was still, Chris has taken over a lot of that since then because he's way better about not stressing out. I freak out. <laughs> and, uh, and, but the thing that was funny to me is the night of the show, we're up there and this dude keeps standing in front and like taking pictures. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, and I got people like, going, you know, what's up? So I kind of kicked him in the foot. <laughs> I was sitting down in front because I was I was introducing people in between, so I would just duck down and sit kind of on the floor, right down. There was nowhere to sit or stand, and he looks at me like, "What are you doing?" It's Rick. <laughs> Later on, he's kind of like afterwards, he's like, "You know, I'm with Modern Drummer," and I'm like, "I don't care." <laughs> I said, "I'm like, I care that these people paid to get in, man. You know, they're doing this as a it's a it's a fundraiser." And he's and we it was so funny because I once I mean we get along great. I love Rick. I've now that I've got to know him, but we didn't get off on the best on the on the best foot. You know, the first time. You kicked it, man. Uh, yeah, I, like, I, like, I tapped him on his foot. Hey, 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 slide over. <laughs> but, you know, and it's so funny that you look and you think, man, that guy has bent over backwards for us to do everything he can. I mean, he's, you know, the, the only reason we're in Modern Drummer, like, that's Rick. 
I mean, that's, that's totally. Great. And those people at Modern Drummer have been fantastic. You know, David or myself, one or the two of us will do. We kind of do the two-headed monster on interviews. Hey, can you do this? And you know yeah. that that's see that's another thing. Parks is awesome in that Parks always. You know, you can know if David's going to go do something, he's going to make sure he talks about how you contribute. Or if I'm doing something, we want I want to make sure that you know people know what David does, and that's what good partnerships are supposed to be about. You're yeah. supposed to really try and champion the yeah. people that you know. It's yeah. not about you; it's about the other folks. You know. You're getting your master's, yep. right? And what's the degree in? Um, master's in music education. Okay. My uh, undergrad was in ethnomusicology. Yeah, why ethnomusicology? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> that's a good question because partially trying to, the funny thing was avoiding music ed as an undergrad because I thought, oh gosh, you got to do all that student teaching. And I didn't think I could do music ed. I thought, man, there's some things that I just, I would be very, wouldn't be that good at. Mm. And it wasn't, it, it was funny because I had taught plenty before I ever went back to school, but it just, it, you know, ethno just made a lot of sense to me because I'm so interested in a broad array of musics. Yeah. I love, I love the African diaspora and the way that has spread to Brazil and, and to the Caribbean. I mean, it, it's a horrible way, slavery, but yet the beauty of that is that, you know, African-Americans or African, you know, Brazilian, whatever, which they right. can think of themselves as Brazilian, but those from the Ivory Coast and those that were subjected to slave trade, they didn't let it, they still, they still rose above it. Look at the music, look at right. what their, you know, their heritage. Yeah. And that's, that to me is the ultimate, yeah, really. it, it says, look, you know, you're not going to keep these people down. Even you do these heinous things to them. And that's why I have so much respect for that. Yeah. It's, and, it's really amazing. Yeah. It, and, and how it's influenced popular culture. That's it. You know, so much so oh, in this, in, in this part of the world. And then, you know, you look at like, you know, I think about favorite records in her albums, you know, I think that's why I love Paul Simon so much rhythm of the saints and, you know, in Graceland too, just a my alt rhythm of saints is one of the best albums I've ever heard. You know, you know, Graceland, there was pretty much a, um, what is it? We had, uh, sanctions against South Africa yeah, with apartheid with apartheid. Yeah. And, uh, in hiring lady Smith, black Mobaza, it was against the rules, but he's like, sorry, people got to hear this music. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and you know, so, and he had to also go with people initially thinking he's trying to exploit their efforts. And but the people in Africa, you know, Lady Smith, they're like, no, 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 he's championing us. You yeah. know, it's just like Peter Gabriel with the WOMAD movement. And you oh, know, I love I mean, those concerts. I mean, that's the thing when you see an Angelique Kidjo or you see all these people, you know, drummers of Burundi. Oh man, you know, you're, these are brilliant musicians, and yeah. the, and the, and you're talking, and that's so ethno to me, ethnomusicology. Plus, I was really fortunate, University of Florida, Larry Crook, who's the head of that department down there. His expertise is Northeast Brazil, which. I'm actually one of my last courses this semester because I graduate in December is Brazilian identity and it's a very in-depth literature course a lot of heavy reading you know anthro anthropological you know so, you know getting into the psyche the whole history of it but that is a, one of the things that's so neat is that we have a lot of folks from Brazil teaching at the University of Florida um, so both both of my professors this semester are both Brazilian uh, one wow. is teaching 20th century music history which is very European like you know yeah, and, and I mean we're so. studying Schoenberg and yeah. Stravinsky and things mm -hmm. but he He's uh, he's a you know brilliant ethnomusicologist mm -hmm. went to school in Boston yet he's a Brazilian. Like, tell me about Jobim, man. Yeah, exactly right, and that's the thing. And they're both both guys, uh, both co courses, Wilson Tremira and uh, um, uh, gosh, I mean, so, so Silvio uh, dos Santos, my professors. Yeah. They're both unreal guitarists. Oh, I mean, Chris wow. can attest to this. Wilson is world class. I actually sent a video to Chris last week of Wilson playing just there. So it's I, that I, that department at Florida is very. It's a thriving, energetic thing. It was a chance to apply things that I already did. I was 
working with a lot of guys from Cuba and Puerto Rico at Disney. And I had so much respect for them. And I knew how abysmal I was at trying mm-hmm. to like play my little bad songos and Mozambique on Congos. Mm-hmm. Or, right. And so I just was, I thought, man, what a cool thing. Maybe I can be a little, a little more informed. Okay. So, so how does that carry over to yeah. the, what you're the, studying? Yeah. The, with now with, with my master's in music ed, it was kind of a, a thing of, I've had enough people at, that are involved with universities, you know, University of Florida, Scott Wilson that I mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're kind of championing me, telling me, Tom, you need to be teaching somewhere. You need to be teaching at school. You've got a lot of passion for it. You know, I've got a big mouth. I seem to be a decent communicator if you could ever shut me up. And, but that, I, the big goal is that somehow some marriage of, of ideally maybe working in an adjunct associate capacity for universities, either doing online, because that's a big thing now is that, you know, All like right. I administer jazz history for Florida right now myself and a couple of the other teaching assistants. And this is like my fourth semester doing it or jazz fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And so Scott, what he's really trying to do for us is help us build resumes so that a university can look and go, wow, they have, you know, technically if you, he can point to me and go, well, Tom's taught. 2,300 students in the last two years at the University of Florida. I mean, I didn't actually physically see them, but we have 600 or more students enrolled in that course each semester. And I'm the guy you're dealing with. I'm running, you know, running the coursework from. And so that's like, I'm hoping that in some way I can marry up that. And maybe, you know, maybe you work for a Belmont in an adjunct or associate capacity, or you work for Tennessee, you know, state, like, you know, doing like Greg, or maybe it's even just regionally because I'm crazy enough to drive every week down to North Atlanta or up to Louisville. I don't have no problem. What, 120, 130 miles? No, you know, doing what we right, do. Sure. sure, I'll come up there one day a week or two days a week, you know, and and but you do a lot of that online. Danny Gottlieb, for instance, has been University of North Florida's adjunct drum set guy for, oh gosh, I think like a decade or more. Really? And he lives here, Lynn Brentwood. Yeah. He and I have twice, or at least I saw him at the airport once and we were on the same flight. We flew down together one morning to Jacksonville. He nice. was going to work and I'm going to school last year. Nice. And so that's the so real... The dynamic has changed as far as educating yeah, and the, what the possibilities. Exactly. I think a lot of my friends think, oh, you got to go teach at a school five days a week. My goal is to do is I'm, I want to work in some capacity serving for that, but I still want to perform. I still want to work for the Tracys. Is, you know, the, is the degree necessary? Uh, yeah. It took, most universities can't hire you for any of those associate positions okay. with master's is minimum. These days, now they're even pushing toward doctorate. You know, if you want any kind of tenured position, you'll have to have a doctorate. I but I could really, a doctorate is writing a book. It's, you know, if I get a job as an associate for something, I could see me working towards my doctorate. I just don't want to go be a, and one of my friends just did it. He was working on his doctorate at Florida. University of Texas hired him to basically take over their marching band, that side of it, because he's a brilliant marching band guy with drum corps and stuff. So there's, that's out there. I'm not, I'm not ruling out that I might not, because everyone, all my friends tease me like, oh, you know, you want to do a dissertation. For instance, the loud jams, and it wasn't intended this way, but it's actually going to be my case study, my final uh, capstone project. Interesting. And because it's a perfect opportunity for grounded research. You're basically, you know, I've get all, now I have, now one thing I have to do for the next few shows, I'm going to have all my friends, I have to get these like consent forms. It's not, it doesn't free up like you don't sell their stuff, but it just consent to even and be observed basically that hey you're aware that I'm doing this as a case study and that I'm you know and it's it's just a formality but it's a big deal in academia and so I, I'm in the process right now of writing my project proposal, proposal. I was doing it this morning. I really should have probably had it done by last week. <laughs> my professor's been great. But so that's kind of it is I want to take the, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to work with the university, but then marrying that up with the other thing I'm doing right now is I'm doing through my, the new TomHurst.com, my current website. So silly. It's been sitting there forever dormant. It's about to go. I'm about, to, we're about to launch an entirely new site. John Hall, that's Rich's Drum Tech has yeah. been, been working with me now for 
uh, about a month and a half. We film every week. I'm kind of trying to do my like a poor man's uh, Mike's Lessons dot com or um, Stephen that's here in town that uh, does his online teaching. I want you know I've had so many students through the years. I did one to one lessons. Um, Adam Nitties who kind of encouraged me to do this because he does it with his base dojo and like what Jim Riley does. Mm-hmm. I, I want to do eventually the ultimate thing is that what we're doing is I'm currently filming to where there'll be content you know downloadable the typical you know hey here's gotcha. my concepts on coordination or on meter yeah. or mix meter whatever right. but. Also, there's going to be the library is the Loud Jams. Basically, all these songs that you see us doing on the Loud Jams, I'm transcribing every single song. Whether I play on it or not, I transcribe. And I mean, I'm not certainly nowhere done, but I think I've probably got, I don't know, I've probably got... 35, 40 of them transcribed as close as I can get note for note. So you only have anything like Abacab to last in line by Dio to the fix, you know, one thing leads to another. And what I want to have is just kind of play along opportunities for people and, you know, in there and it's, and it's, that's free. So helpful. Exactly. And so what I've done is gone in he and we, we film me playing those songs, three camera with pro tools. And then we also, when I teach a lesson, like these little two minute lesson vignettes, we insert elements from those songs where I'm using that rhythmic figure or where I'm applying that coordination. You know what I mean? So it makes it more interesting. Yeah. So really the masters thing would be sure. I hope it's a, it's sort of another, you know, kind of a meal ticket that like maybe some university would, you know, eventually would want me to be in work for them in a capacity of that mm-hmm. sort. But in the interim, what I'm really trying to do is, is tie that into the entrepreneurial side of just online teaching, yeah. you know, just like everyone else does. And, um, you know, continue to the other, other component is that we really haven't talked about is infinity percussion, which is, right. that's the group my partner, John Campese and I founded 12 years ago. Yeah. Not to go too much in depth, but basically it's a nonprofit 501c3 based in Orlando, Oviedo, Florida. And excuse me, there it's a competitive drumline in Wintergard International. And they we actually have two ensembles. So now Infinity Percussion represents Infinity World, which is like our, our older expert group, and then Infinity Open, which is also they're very, very good. They you know, it's say like an advanced intermediate. Okay. It's really more of an age difference. They tend to be our average age in that group is probably nineteen pushing 20 whereas our top group is definitely 21 22 it's really they're they're what we call they're near aging out 23 okay. is your final year and now we're looking possibly to add a third group that would be our a class more of a beginner developmental group okay but the last three years we've had about 90 to 95 kids in the groups each year wow they compete for about four months during the winter and john my partner and i both invested in the group we bought a lot of the equipment and it was it was originally my idea we did it as a thing called first degree kind of the way park started the drummer jam I wanted to do this back in 2003, 2004, but okay. John was my, had been my longtime instructor and I'd worked with him at, in Disney at Future Core. So basically we came together. Put and the that's gr- been going on for... Yeah, now this is our 12th year. It's technically the 10-year anniversary for Infinity as Infinity, but two years prior to that, it was the, it was the same people but it, and with a lot of the membership back then, but it was called First Degree. It was our that's original it. name and the guy that was our third partner decided he didn't want to do it anymore and it was his name. So we had to change the name. I see. And, and is there a connection to your studies? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. As far as with the University of Florida? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because really what we're doing is Infinity is, you know, we have the, our online website and everything. We do, of course, for the competitive components. Mm-hmm. And we also do a lot of community outreach elements. Like we created the magic, of the, you know, the NBA's magic basketball team. Right, yeah. We created their drum lines called Rhythm and Blue. So basically, if you see that on TV, it's basically all of Infinity alumni with rare exception. And we, you know, set it up for them the first couple, first year or two. Um, but really the way that ties back to me with the educational component is that we're going to do an online academy with infinity, basically that all that we'll have for, you know, both, you know, if you're a member or anything, but, but it's just the same idea that you can have a lot of our instructional staff, myself, any of us Mm -hmm. that are involved that want to teach, it'll be another,
rather outreach where we show players that are maybe big marching enthusiasts how they can transfer that. And you've got to understand, we get a lot of kids that are great marimbas, you know, serious, legit percussionists. Maybe show them, hey, you could develop your drum set skills so that you can be more. Really, the main goal is to kind of, I'd like to marry the Infinity Percussion Academy, kind of with my TomHurst.com lesson yeah. things, sort of have the two interlocked. And, and the TomHurst.com that's out there right now. Yeah, this it's is. it's just basically my it's more of a bio, you know, and it has it has the basic information for lessons, you know, like one to one, you know, the right. traditional hey, but, come over but you've got a new one coming. It's up. it's totally built. It's we even have all. It's basically sitting there. It's they're just purely waiting on me on content. So I'm cranking out content as fast as I can get okay. it done. So we're hoping to launch either I, I realistically probably not October first, probably November first. Okay. I, I mean, I, there's enough content filmed already. We could have a pretty substantial, but I don't want to be the guy that cried wolf. You know, when you look at like Mike'sLessons.com, that site's brilliant. That guy doesn't. Yeah. If you're familiar with him, God, yeah. Man. Well, and, and by you the know? time we put this episode out, it's probably going to be maybe in three or four weeks. Maybe yeah. it'll be close, but maybe uh, yeah. if somebody's listening to this later on, we'd probably do a soft opening, and it'll be that the idea. And basically, what I'm wanting to do, I want it to be an affordable. I, the thing that bothers me the most when people approach me about lessons for me to earmark that time, I have to sort of charge a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like they get enough value. I want them to get added value, so. I'm, the, there's one other component to this is that, that you asked me about the teaching studio. This is why I'm moving to my buddy's place in Mount Juliet because we have more of a true studio space where I can have, and this is, I've got to give credit where it's due, ripping off Jim Riley all day long. <laughs> Jim does a thing where he has four drum sets plus yeah, him. He does. And he right. used to always laugh at me, you're doing one-to-one drum lessons? And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I, I want to feature my friends too. I want to be able to say, hey, Rich is in studio today. It's nothing different than what Drumeo does, what these guys, you know, just a more kind of at a probably more roots level but i the john holland is my partner in it and there's actually several people involved rich viano who's a if anybody in the drum corps world knows rich that's my web designer guy okay and we're basically what we want to do is each is i'll be teaching classes a couple days a week just like mike does kind of an on like the real time hey here's our one hour class on the beginning level and here's one this afternoon at intermediate or whatever do that like two days a week and that i would basically i'm there with some kids from maybe the mount juliet area and it'd have to be kids it could be adults whatever whomever signs up those will be the traditional in-person lessons, but they're going to be kind of a reasonable rate because we can do it, you know, in a group. group, And at the same time, the members to TomHurst.com worldwide, they just like Mike's lessons. They, they log in, they can either watch the, you know, they can participate in the lesson live because I've got a, a friend that's kind of teching for us, or they can get it from the archive. And the thing I love is that I can offer to somebody in an online setting, say, Hey, look, you know, the online membership is like, like what, you know, I'm I'm a huge Gator football fan. I think I paid nine 95 a month to read all about the Gators. That's what I want this to be is, Oh gosh, sorry. The, uh, yeah, I I want it to be something that's affordable to people that like, even my friends here in town that say, man, I'd love to take lessons with you, but man, I haven't got the money to go drop 40 Mm -hmm. bucks or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I just want them to be able to turn that off. And, um, the that that's the main goal is that then you know it's more of an economy of scale that hopefully I can make some semblance of a living from it without feeling like I have to you know just I, I just don't I, I, I want to make sure people get way more for their money right. you know they come away go man that's cool wow yeah. I didn't realize all this is available yeah. you yeah. know Tell me briefly mm-hmm. uh, what's coming up with the Loud Jams when the next one is. Yeah, is there absolutely. a consistent schedule? Yeah, absolutely. There is. Um, uh, Mervin Luke pretty much lets me do whatever I want, so I can't say enough about him at, at Douglas Corner. He's unbelievable. Nice. And that's why a lot of people ask me why we don't. I mean, I did move the drummer jam to exit in because that is my thing. You know, that's my side of it, what I do. David handles like all the sponsors and stuff. Chris handles the musical directorship. I handle the logistics. And we 
Marvin agreed. Marvin's like, man, you need to take that. And so the guy, the folks at XM were nice enough to take us on over there, Jesse. Yeah, right. But the the loud jams, I pretty much have the attitude that no matter I, it's right now, we're we're out the door. Like we really, I can't believe the number of people coming. But I would rather it be that that people are literally waiting to get in, yeah. kind of like the way. Um, what's the thing, everybody? Vince Gill, they all do it downtown. Oh, oh station right. in. Um, uh, now they do it. Time at, jumpers. Time jumpers. The way that has that, you know, that they eventually had to move to Third and Lindsley. But I really would like to keep this at Douglas Corner because of my loyalty to Mervin for him. Right. And so, yeah, our schedule is basically we do, we're doing the first Monday of each month. Uh, we'll have this one October 5th. We have another on November 2nd. We're not doing December. In other words, just so as to not clutter up the, the drummer jam, which is December 14th, December 14th, that will be at X and N Monday to all of our things are Mondays because that that's, I find that's usually works the best, you know, with touring yeah, schedules. Right. So, and then we will take off, uh, I'm assuming, I mean, Mervin's said, by all means, do it in 2016. The game plan is to take January off, just give us all a little breather, yeah. do the drummer jam since middle month, and then come back. I think it's February 1st or 2nd is the whatever that first Monday okay. in February, pretty much. So depending on who's listening to this interview now, yeah, uh, the first Monday of each month. That's that's the safest way to say Douglas it. With, yeah, with the exception of December and January, December you wouldn't, January, wouldn't have those. Uh, January of 2016. Exactly. We'll that's be back, and though. and the same thing. We'll probably avoid like our next drummer jam is will be in May. I know that, and it. I have to get with Jesse, but it'll probably be mid-month, mid to late May. And so we'll probably avoid May with the loud jams. And uh, we're going to make announcements on the Working Drummer uh, website and Facebook and just make sure that... Anybody that's that's not familiar with what you guys are doing, man, I can't thank you enough for it. I mean, oh, what man. you yeah, we're really appreciate to be it. Involved in it too. Absolutely, man, thanks for taking the time. Of course, buddy. I thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm really honored. It's. I, I hope I didn't talk your head off too much. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, man. Right. I have a. You know, I just have to catch a flight in 12 hours. Oh, so fine. I'm good. <laughs> I feel for you. No, good lord, Nova Scotia. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So there's Tom Hurst, everyone. Thanks, Tom, for sitting down and talking to me. Also, thanks for inviting us to participate with the Nashville Drummer Jam that's coming up in December, December 14th at the Exit Inn. Uh, please check that out. The artist, the drummer that they're going to do a tribute to is to be announced. So stay tuned for that. I also want to make sure I take some time and thank Mike Jackson for getting this together. We had a great interview with Jeff Hartso at PAS, and the audio is crappy. My fault. We're going to fix that and get that up for you to see. So uh, I'm very excited about that. also want to share a a comment from Grant Darby on the Facebook page. Uh, Back in June, he writes, I haven't listened to all the podcasts, and I will. But I wanted to let you know what a great job and service you're providing for the drum community. I'll be listening and looking forward to the new interviews. It's fine to read interviews in all the drum publications, but it's an added bonus to hear the drummers themselves. Outstanding host and questions. Uh, Thanks, Grant. I appreciate that. Any comments, anything you guys want to add just to the community uh, is great on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, comments on iTunes. That's always very helpful. Let's keep the dialogue going. Uh, but again, thanks, Grant, for uh, posting that. So everyone, again, thanks for listening. I appreciate it, and I'll see you around. Bye. Bye.